Okay, I, what I want to do today <clears throat> is is continue talking about the... What are you laughing at? Uh, is continue talking about the judgment of the cross. And... Um, and and I'm doing this uh, for for a few different reasons, but as I said, I think last time, for us to understand the solution that God has provided for everything in the cross, we need to start to come to a greater understanding of the problem. Um, and, and and let me just say this in, in, a, in a very real way. The solution is not even something that we can describe very well with words. I mean, there there are things that need to be said and things that we will say and things that we'll say today. But, but, but in, in, a, in a very real way, the solution the, the solution to man's need, the, the the answer to man's need, the solution to man's problem, is something that begins to appear by the revealing of the Spirit when you and I are willing to face the problem. It doesn't do a whole lot of good. I mean, some people say, "Why are you trying to focus on the negative aspects of our situation?" Or, and 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 I, but I've learned I've learned something over the last few years. I've learned that if we will accept and and come to know and realize the darkness of the Adamic man, then and we we come to realize that as a reality, then God finds room in our heart. To teach us the life of Christ. If we don't, then there there remains no room at all. So, sitting here and describing whatever my experience, my limited limited experience of, of Christ's life, honestly, it, it might make a good story, but it won't do anything for anybody. Uh, this isn't about me giving a good testimony and people trying to experience the same thing. Uh, this is about all of our hearts individually uh, facing the nothingness, the death of the Adamic man, the judgment of the cross, and finding on the other side of that great division, life. And coming to know that life, see that life, experience that life, have that life formed in us. And there's, not, there's nothing uh, of that that we'll even begin to experience if, if we're not willing to face the reality of the problem. So that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm not, I'm not trying to give anyone, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of ways that this can be misunderstood, but, but, but please understand that we have no room in our hearts for God to do anything real unless... We acknowledge that we are the darkness, we are the lie, we are the death that he is trying to displace, that he is trying to he is trying to put away through the revealing of life. There's a verse I was talking to someone in Costa Rica this week about this verse that was really coming alive to them in John chapter eight, where Jesus is talking to the the Pharisees and um Um, hold on. It, it's just one little sentence, but it's a sentence that has a whole lot of meaning. 
Ah, uh, that's chapter ten. Um, he he says he says to them in verse thirty-seven, "I know that you're Abraham's descendants. In fact, in other words, I know that you are the natural seed of the natural man Abraham, and yet you're you're trying to kill me. And here's why: because my word." has no place in you. Now, if you think that that's a, a problem that is, that is exclusive to Pharisees in the first century, you're very wrong. That is everyone's problem. That's your problem. That's my problem. Um, and one of these days, we'll talk about um, what it means to, to bear in ourselves His Word. And, and to make room, we'll talk more about that. But that's not where we are today. Um, if, if you remember last time, we talked about the first and the second, and um, and 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 the judgment. Or the when I say judgment again, just to re- refresh your memories, I'm not talking about punishment. I'm talking about a division. That's what judgment is different than punishment. Judgment is a separating. Um, as I said last time, you go to court. To get a judgment, you go to jail as the punishment. The two aren't the same. Judgment is a dividing, and so we we um, we started talking about this judgment, this division between the first and the second. And let me just say something that's super important here, right at the outset. This, um, if this division, if this judgment between death and life, if this judgment between uh, Adam and Christ, old and new. If this is something that you are maybe thinking that you understand, then um, no, no offense at all. But if that if it's something that you think that you understand, then you haven't begun to see it. Um, and I mean that in all seriousness. Only in the only in the darkness of our natural minds could this division uh, appear to us to be something that we already comprehend. The fact is that the more light that we have, the more understanding from God that we have, the more we understand that this division it, it's like a bottomless chasm. It, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger to our view as we come to see more and more in His light. So when it comes to knowing Christ, um, there will never be anything, ever, where you should be able to say, "Oh, I've learned that." It's that's that's totally on the wrong side. Of, that that whole kind of learning is on the wrong side of the divide. It doesn't it doesn't drag over into Christ at all. A heart. Uh, a heart that sees clearly will never utter those words. I know that. Paul himself said, anyone who says that he knows does not yet know as he ought. And, and when it comes to seeing Christ, even the most, what, what someone might call foundational or basic realities are infinitely deep. They have no bottom to them. And the question is never whether or not you or I have learned something the question is always a matter of how far you and I are currently able to see something. You'll never get to the bottom of it. Paul, near the end of Paul's life, uh, he's in prison. He's, he's going to be killed within a year or two, and he says this, not that I have attained, this is in Philippians 3, not that I have attained, 
or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as uh, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before me. So that's, that's Paul's take, and that, that's how it will always be with us. Christ is, Christ is an inexhaustible ocean of reality. And he's one that will never fit into your brain. Never, ever. And what I mean is that knowing Christ will never be something that you comprehend and store in your memory like math or like language. Knowing Christ never fits in your memory. Knowing Christ will always be a reality of seeing by his spirit the reality of his life and walking in that life and abiding in that light. And it's very important that we... That we um, give that some serious consideration and and turn our hearts to understand that. Christ is only known when we behold his life through the revealing of his spirit. Christ is only experienced as that life becomes the present experience of our soul by faith. Christ is only formed in us as the truth as it is in him grows to be more real to our soul, than the lie as it is in us. Christ is glorified in you only as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, as we bear the fruit of the light, as it says in Galatians 5, bearing the fruit of the light, uh, and, and, and at no point in any of that is anything of Christ ever fully attained. There's just more and more and more of Christ to know and more and more and more of you to put off. So so get used to that being the nature of the journey. I mean, it gets better because Christ is always there to always desiring to show you more of what is real and always desiring to put away from you what isn't real. And that is, that 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 but but it's always it always involves leaving behind one world of reality and progressively inhabiting the universe of Christ that's that's always and here's why here's why i said all that if we're seeing if we're seeing with his light then we're going to find that this thing called judgment this thing division the cross the cross that is god's great divide we're going to see that it's an amazingly immense thing. We're going, to, we're going to find it to be an endless chasm, a bottomless division that only ever becomes more and more extreme. You, 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 think, you've seen, you think you've seen the extremeness, of the, the extremity. I, I, that doesn't sound right in this context, but you think you've seen how separate two things are from one another and then that, then that 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 divide gets deeper and wider and 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 things that you used to not even be able to discern between they start to separate as far as the east is from the west from each other and then it goes even deeper and 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 I can tell you that 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 this division still confronts my soul today with the same shock to, to my system that it that it did when I first started seeing it a few years ago. 
and it always will be that way. It always needs to be that way. If something, if that stops happening in me, then just put me out of my misery or do, do something because I'm, I'm, I've become useless. If I can't continually see and walk in the light of that ever-increasing division, then I'm going to be walking in my own mind, my own thoughts, my own life, my own nature, and someone just back over me because <laughs> there's nothing good for me to do. So I want to spend some more time on that, on this division. And uh, that sounded a little morbid, sorry about that, but, but I feel that way in my heart. Uh, we, we will always, in some way or another, be talking about this division, but I want to just focus kind of exclusively on this this thing for a little while. And I'm hoping that, that each time we do this, we always kind of come back to this place in our hearts. This is what I'm hoping, that we all uh, we all learn to do. Not, not, to, not as much to turn our brains to learn something, but to turn our hearts to let go of something and to see something that replaces it. To, to, to open our hearts up to the Lord like little children who are just beginning, myself included, just beginning an enormous journey and we have no idea of the way. We have no idea of the way except we see Him. And that makes me want to start talking about Joshua chapter 5 because that's where we are in, in another class thing that I'm teaching and, and the way that God demonstrates what I just said in types and shadows is extremely beautiful, but another time. So we have to we have to we have we have this thing that we described as the first and the second. We have uh, we have the cross that divides them, and I have this. This is an attempt to diagram. This may seem complicated, it might seem strange, uh, but I'll put this down here. Let me see here. Can everyone see it if I stick it down here, like that? That's not Ben. Uh, uh, we have this, uh, you know, the first, as we said last time, the first involves the old man who you see on this side, right? Yes, there he is, and he's living in his old creation, and that's that, that world, that, that circle that's around him. And he's related, and, 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 and then uh, he, he's relating to God link between that world and that man that goes to God is, represents the old covenant. That And all of that was broken. You see the cross cut right between that covenant, cut right between that man and that creation and his, his relationship with God. So the cross put an end, an end to that. Uh, at one time, God had relationship to that man and those natural things according to that kind of relationship. The cross put an end to that. The cross cut between God and everything that is of the first. Okay? And the cross established a new man. And that's that big guy. I had to draw him kind of big because uh, he had to fit the whole new creation inside of him because that's where it is. A new creation, which is what we are. We are, we are that new creation in Christ Jesus. A habitation uh, for him to live in. And, and we, as those who are in him, are relating to God according to a new covenant, which is a new kind of relationship. And that's that, that's that uh, uh, second chain-looking thing. It represents the new covenant. And, and you know, this, this picture has its, uh, has its weak spots, obviously. Uh, because, like, if you were to try to draw... 
you know, Paul says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You kind of have to draw the God box all the way around or circle all the way around this thing on that side to do that. But then it would kind of mess with the picture of the new covenant. And I didn't know how to draw it very well, but you get the point. Uh, it's, it's a nice little diagram that tries to, to show the separation between old man, old creation, old covenant from God, broken at the cross, divided from God at the cross. God establishes a new man, a new creation in him. Behold, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. What are those old things? Old man, old creation, old covenant. Every part of it has passed away from God's sight. And God relates to you and I in a new man as a new creation according to a new covenant. That's a fact. That may not be a fact of experience in your whole, in, in your soul, but it, it is a fact uh, of reality according to the finished work of the cross. Um, so, what is the first... I want to talk a little bit about the first man for a few minutes, and then I want to talk about his relationship to the law. Um, and what the law demonstrated. Because I think in a lot of ways, some people say to me, well, why do you, why do you talk about how the old covenant is broken? Everyone knows that, that, that that's a Christian. We all know that, that we're, you know, we're in this thing called the new covenant. But a lot of times you, you ask a Christian, well, what does that mean? And they're like, well, we don't have to like kill goats and stuff. And okay, there's a little more to Can you say something else besides there's a little more to it? And the fact of the matter is when it gets down to it, uh, we continue to try to relate to God according to a relationship that God no longer even recognizes in so many conceivable ways that, again, it is constantly and ever-increasingly shocking to the human heart how we have misunderstood the new covenant and not recognized, as Hebrews says, that in the establishing of the new covenant, he has made the old covenant obsolete. So, that's where we're going. So, what's the first man? Let's talk about this for a few minutes here. And as I try to describe the first man to you, remember that, that, that the cross has made all of these things that I'm saying irrelevant. Irrelevant to you. Even though they might seem very relevant in the blindness of our misunderstanding and the blindness of the carnal mind, they are irrelevant to God. Uh, the first man is natural. That is to say, he is flesh and bone and blood. He is physical. He is material, and that man knows himself and knows his surroundings with five natural senses. That's how that man relates to his natural creation. Okay, Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. These five senses connect a natural mind to a natural world and help the natural man experience natural reality. And everyone here is saying, duh. But the, the problem is that we actually think that with those five senses and with that natural mind, we can know God. We actually think that we can cross that divide in the ways that we can only experience the things on this side. So the first man has absolutely no ability to know anything or relate to anything spiritual. That's a serious problem. Jesus says it like this, flesh gives birth to flesh, Spirit gives birth to spirit. The flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. The two are contrary to each other. They are different realms and realities. They are different lives. 
They are known by entirely different senses. They are understood by completely different minds. They have nothing in common except that the physical is the testimony of the spiritual. That's it. The natural is a dim shadow of the eternal. That's their relationship. Other than that, the soul of or the, the 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 natural world and man is 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 divided by the cross, separated. And the soul of the natural man is entirely conscious of self. The soul of the this man over here has, as Hebrews says, has been cleansed of that consciousness. Has become conscious of another life that is in him and abides in that life. But this man over here is, yeah, that man is, is totally conscious of self and is motivated in every way according to self-preservation. Nobody likes to hear that, but that's just a fact. The natural man is moved in his, in his actions, in his, in his, in his, uh, Behaviors and the way that we think and everything by self-preservation and self-love, and this is the this is the source and, and reality behind all of his thinking. The, the Adamic man is a soul. God, remember in the story in, in Genesis, uh, God breathed into this into this man and he became a living soul. That soul declared independence from God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That soul decided to live by its own knowledge of good and evil by its own judgments according to its own source according to its own self it refused the offer of life and the tree of life and and believing a lie that it could be like god and and ever since it has lived from self and for self and by self and whenever um well whether or not we have come to see it this man is a is a is a slave to self-preservation that's what drives us. That's what drives the natural man. That's not everything that we're thinking, but that's behind everything that we're thinking. And, 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 and because of that, the natural man resists the death of the cross in every conceivable way. We don't like it. We don't even want to consider it. Uh, oftentimes, the natural man is not afraid of physical death so long as physical death is seen by us to be a, a way to secure greater gain for self. But this man is always naturally opposed to the cross because that is where self, that is where the self-loving soul ceases to be the life and the purpose and the identity of this body. And uh, just as a side note, man creates religion because of this exact dilemma. That's why we, we invent religions. That's why we did it in the very beginning. That's why Adam covered himself in garments of, of fig leaves. He, man creates religion because we appreciate morality and, and law and, and the idea of relationship with God. But, but religion allows the natural man to keep these ideas in one form or another that man can have morality or law or relationship with God and still live in and by and for self. Over here. Everyone wants Jesus, but nobody wants his cross. And so religion in one form or another is is an attempt to and, and I'm and I'm speaking specifically about Christian religion, but whatever religion I suppose it's the same thing. Uh religion 
without a cross is it's just another version of man's imaginations. So, um, okay, so the, the, the natural man. I'm talking about the natural man. What, what, what are some more characteristics of this man? Well, we, we've just been saying that the natural man wants a relationship with God according to his own interests or according, based on his own pri- priorities or in alignment with his own understanding or his own values. He desires to bring God into his world and, 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 and pray to him about the things of, 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 of our primary interest and, and of our own mind and our own nature. And we want to, 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 through God, find the security and blessing of our own purposes and our own ideas. And, and, and that's just how he works. The natural man thinks he can know God with his natural mind, and yet he cannot. Paul says that there is not one that knows God. No, not even one. Romans chapter 3. The natural man thinks that he can please God with the works of his nature, the obedience of his flesh, or the submission of his natural will. But he cannot. Jesus says the flesh profits nothing. Paul says that by nature we are hostility towards God, and we are children of wrath by nature. The natural man believes that forgiveness of transgressions and and, and our shortcomings is our primary need. But that's not true. Cleaning up a toad in the shower will never make him a man. You understand what I'm saying there? The natural man is perfectly helpless. He is perfectly unrighteous. He is unable to approach God, to know God, to relate to God, except by the imagination of his own mind. The natural man was created by God to bear in his soul the life of God and to be conformed to that life and to be expressive of that life. But rejecting the tree of life, that world, uh, the world that man was born into was filled with a kind of humanity that fell short of purpose. And we have all fallen short of that life inwardly. And we have proven that we cannot even obey the law of life in external commands and regulations. We've proven that. We've proven that. Uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm not... Please don't misunderstand me. Um, I'm not saying these things because I won't necessarily... Not, not in, in, in a way, I don't want you to feel hopeless. I just want you to have your hope in the right thing. Your hope has to be aimed at the right... There is hope, but there is no hope for the natural man. There is hope, but hope begins after we forsake in our hearts what God has forsaken in this cross, what God has put away in the cross of Jesus Christ. And and, and so I want to try to to highlight to you today, just from the scripture, just a handful of verses, and, and, and we won't you know, go too far beyond this today, but th- that, that this is what the law was meant to demonstrate. Okay? Uh, the law of Moses was given so that the human heart could understand this division, so that we could see something of that division. Uh, the law didn't accomplish that division. That didn't happen until the cross. But the law was given so that so that humanity, so that Israel could comprehend the need for the judgment of the cross. 
And this is really important for us to understand, especially because, as, as I was saying in the beginning, so many of us in the body of Christ are still trying to relate to God in, obedi- in outward obedience to law. I mean, I'm not talking about everyone always... Uh, you know, keeping all of the the ordinances of of kosher diets and all that kind of stuff, but in so many ways we're trying to be pleasing to God as this man over here obeying outward commands and ordinances. But that's not why the law was given. And I know some of you, maybe most of you, have read the Not I But Christ. Um, uh, a book thing that I that I wrote that has to do with the law, but but uh, even so, let me say a few things here just to make sure we're all on the same page, coming from the same place. The law was not given as a way for Israel to be righteous. Over and over again, we can see in Scripture, and we can see from our own experience, if we're honest that the Adamic man cannot keep the law. Paul says in Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And that is why he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, that the law is a ministry of condemnation. And he says in the next verse, the law is a ministry of death. What does that mean? What does it mean that the law is a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. Well, the law is two things. The law the law functions in two ways, you could say. The law was God's description of his own nature so that on the one hand it established a testimony a testimony of himself, a testimony of his son, his glory, his righteousness uh, in, in Old Covenant Israel. But on the other hand, the same law, the same rules and regulations and commandments expose the indisputable fact that man fell infinitely short of that righteousness. It did those two things, you see? So it, 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 it describes the righteousness of God on one hand, and yet it, it, it condemns every attempt of man to be and to live by that righteousness. It establishes this uh, perp- perfect... Um, standard, and therefore constantly condemns all that which fell short of that standard. Um, so, it was it was created. Paul says it's a ministry of condemnation. It was created to to condemn our efforts to live under it in the flesh, and that is why Paul tells us uh, in Romans five twenty that the law was added so that transgression would increase. Now, that sounds like a, a ludicrous... You never see that put on anyone's um, uh, church sign outside their church, you know? The law was added so that tra- transgression would increase. Um, but but that's because we so often don't understand what the law was for. The law was like taking a giant spotlight and shining it right on the Adamic man, right on the nature that I've been trying to describe in these first three or four uh, pages here. It exposed the nature of sin in Adam and caused the nature of sin to to become exposed as as many individual sins. Okay, it took sin, it showed sin by causing sin to um, come out. It's I have this picture in my head of like my kids playing with play doh. You know that thing where you you stick the big ball of play doh in that thing and then you like make spaghetti by pushing down on that one. 
You know that one tool? Anyone? No one? Okay. All right, yeah. So what was like one, I don't know if you couldn't see it in there or something like that, you put a little pressure on it and all of a sudden it starts coming out in a in a hundred different little individual streams. That's what the law did. The law caused that nature, that lump of Plato to be manifested in hundreds of different individual transgressions. So, uh, so that the nature of sin could be clearly seen through the individual transgressions. Um, the, the, the righteous standard of God put up against the hopeless condition of Adam. And, and you know, in, in this group, we're probably getting more and more familiar with Galatians 2.20, but, but to understand Galatians 2.20, you really have to read, you have to start reading from Galatians 2.19. Because it's in 2.19 that Paul says, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live unto God. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. But he starts by saying, it's the law. It's the law that killed me. It's the law that judged me dead, a sinner, needing to be put away. And that is where I've been crucified with Christ comes out from. So God did not give the the Israelites the Mosaic law as a way of making them righteous. And, And the Jews of Jesus' day... And many of the Jews of today and many of the Christians of today too, I believe, uh, ha- ha- turned this law, what Paul calls a ministry of condemnation, a ministry of, of, uh, of death, we turn it into a cause for our own boasting. And, and rather than a cause, rather than that which shows us our need for Christ. The Jews of Jesus' day atter- attempted to turn the law into a righteousness of their own. Uh, you know, it's like, and, and, and I'm trying to make us realize we do the same thing. They look to the Old Testament and find their righteousness. We look to the New Testament and somehow find our own. Same exact reality. Romans 10, uh, chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 2, Paul says, I can testify for these Jews. They have a real zeal for God, but it's not according to true knowledge because they fail to submit to the righteousness that came from God and they're still trying to establish a righteousness of their own. Well, again, that's that was my heart for most of my Christian life. And Jesus actually tried to convince the Jews that they weren't keeping the law, and he tried to show them that they could never keep it, and he said to them things like, you have heard it said, don't kill your brother, here's some bad news for you, you're already doing it. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery with your neighbor. I got, I got some more bad news. You've already done it thousands of times in your heart. You clean the outside of the cup. The inside is disgusting. You, you, you whitewash your tombs and you're full of dead man's bones. And he just keeps saying stuff like that. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses here from Galatians 3, 3, 19 through 24. You can turn there if you want. Otherwise, just jot it down and check it out later. It's really... Really, a, an awesome scripture uh, that describes just more of what we're saying here. Um, Paul says, "What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made." And then, verse twenty-one: Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life. If a law could have, in the New American Standard, it says, imparted life. Well, then truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. 
The scripture has shown that everyone is confined, is stuck under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. I hope you can see what Paul's saying here. It's really significant. The law was added only because of of people's transgressions. So God used the Mosaic law to, to testify of his nature and purpose and promise in Israel and simultaneously to expose their need for the righteousness of his seed, the life that he desired to impart to them. He used the law to shut up everyone under sin, is the way it says it in Romans 3.22. In uh, here it says um, something like that, confine all under sin, so that they would see their need for the promise of a different kind of life, a promise of life to be received by faith. And so in this way, the law functions as a tutor to lead us to Christ. Okay, It's not like... Well, in the Old Covenant, they just had to try to follow the law. And in the New Covenant, well, now we just have to try to be like Jesus. That's, that's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. It's, 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 not, it's not what we're talking about here. The law showed us what we were. The law showed us, pointed to who he was. So that in the fullness of time, what we were could be put away by the cross. And what he is by nature could be received and known and formed in us. So the law was never something that the Jews were supposed to tote around and, and use to boast in their own righteousness. And those who did that totally missed the intention of the law. Uh, and that's why Jesus, I think, spoke with such condemnation over the Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, in his day, they were boasting in the law the very thing that was condemning them. Jesus says in John 5.45, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. In John 7.19, he says, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why are you seeking to kill me? In other words, you're setting your hope in the law, and the very thing that you're hoping in is condemning you, because you are failing to live according to it in every way. Paul says similar things to that in Romans 2 and 3. Um, leave that alone. So, what, But what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus has these harsh words for these people because they're rejecting life again. They, they rejected life in the garden. We did. Rejected life in the garden in favor of our own, our own knowledge of good and evil, our own, uh, our own life as a source, our own living by our own judgments. And, and then here comes the person of life, the light, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He comes into the midst of their world and, and again offers himself as the, the life, the life that all of their, uh, their, their promises in Israel had pointed to, the life that, that the prophecies, uh, had spoken of all the types and shadows of Israel, had proclaimed, here he comes, the, the tree of life, uh, walking in the midst of, of Israel, and still they reject him. Still they, they suppose that in some way the natural man, uh, living by his own judgments, living as his own source, living by his own knowledge of good and evil, uh, that, man's, that man is still sufficient, and they reject him again. And so, 
we need to understand that that the law the law could never impart life it was meant to bring condemnation it was what god was really showing through the law was that adam that kind that nature needed to be brought into the grave he was demonstrating the need through the law god was demonstrating the need <clears throat> for the for the putting away the full removal of that kind of 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 humanity the man on the on the uh, this side of the diagram so so the mosaic law it's like it lifted up this righteous standard and put it right next to the law of sin and death as it is in adam and it 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 both it both exalted what is the righteousness of God in the form of law and command and 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 um, statutes and ordinances and and it also exposed the hopelessness of our condition. It, it described God's righteousness and then it, and, and and in so doing it, it 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 compared it to us. And that's why the New Testament makes. I'm just going to read a few uh, verses here um, from the New Testament just so that this gets settled in our heart that this is what the you know, this is what the Bible says. Despite the fact that Christians everywhere are still trying to live according to the law, let's look at what the Bible says about the law. Um, Romans 5.20, I think we read, the law came in so that transgression would increase. Uh, Romans 7.7, 7, I would not have known the law. I'm sorry, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you uh, you shall not covet but sin that nature sin not not sins but the nature that man sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law sin is dead uh, Romans 7 5 for while we were in the flesh the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death um, Romans 3.20 because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin and we've looked at 2 Corinthians 3 the law is a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation so so the law was meant to demonstrate to us to, to humanity to Israel that that there was this thing called righteousness this there was this thing called holiness goodness and yet they were not that thing they i'm trying to to uh to to show really these two functions of the law it created a testimony in the earth of what was coming in christ through commands and through feasts and through sacrifices and all the things that the law demonstrated but at the same time it showed what what we've been trying to talk about tonight it showed this great division a division between one kind of man and another kind of man one life and another life one creation and another creation one covenant and another covenant you know, in, in our view of the cross, when we don't understand this division, when we don't understand God's understanding of the cross, then we, we, see, our view of the cross 
in, in, in the natural mind it is it corresponds to our view of the problem and and we think that the cross dealt with our sins uh, that is the, the the bad things that we did that God didn't like we think that it punished those sins in Jesus uh, on our behalf but God's view of the cross is so much bigger than that God's view of the cross is dealing with an entire creation and all that was of it of that creation an entire man the nature of that man being sin not 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 the just the sins that God uh, saw and needed to forgive but the man that was the the source and the and the and the fountainhead of all of the little sins that were constantly emanating out of that that being you know i've said this before but uh you're not you're not a sinner because you sin you sin because you're a sinner and so the the judgment of the cross is the separating of that whole man from god and giving you a new life it's separating the old from the new it it is the judgment it is the putting away of the first and uh and when we don't understand that judgment then 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 we're like people and this is the story of my life for much of my my, my time as a Christian we're like people that knock we try to knock the bad fruit off of the tree before anyone sees it and then we get into our prayer closet and pray that next year that same tree won't produce bad fruit and it'll pr somehow produce good fruit but that doesn't that doesn't approach the solution to the problem because that has nothing to do with the cross that's not what the cross accomplished it didn't give you a way to hide under a fig leaf it didn't give you a way to hide bad fruit Jesus looks at the problem, you know, again, our, our answer to the problem of bad fruit is, is trying to cover them up or change their color or paint them a different color or hide and pray that this, that tree will produce better fruit next year. Jesus looks at a fig tree, if you remember this story, Jesus looks at a fig tree and sees that it's not producing fruit and he curses it. And he says, may you never produce fruit again and, and that tree withers, it dies from the root upward. That's what the cross accomplished. John the Baptist says it similarly. He says, look, you, you guys need to stop boasting in the fact that you're sons of Abraham according to the flesh. The one who's coming after me is laying the axe to the root of the tree. And so our problem is that we don't see this division. Our problem is that we don't see this judgment. God's opinion of the natural man is very different from ours. And and as we as we open our hearts up to see God's view of this division, God's view of the cross, this this separation, uh, then this division begins to grow in our hearts, grow in our comprehension. Um, so let me just close by saying this: I'm not I'm not trying to to tell anyone here that 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 our problem is that we're not in Christ. I'm trying to say that our problem is that we are those who are in Christ as Christians, but we're in Christ without judgment. In other words, we're in Christ without understanding the judgment of the cross. We're in Christ, but we're in Christ as those who have not seen or comprehended or, or been affected in an inward way by the division, the, the judgment of the cross. And, and so we'll pick it up next week.